today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. heard it said this way, within my life, within my soul, there are two dogs that are battling. The dog of God, that good and righteous one, and the dog of Satan, that wicked and evil one. They're doing battle continually. And which one is the one that wins? The one I feed. The one I feed. If I'm feeding the flesh, then that one's going to win. If I'm feeding the spirit, that's the one that's going to win. We are at war. But the battle is an internal one oftentimes. We have the law of sin and death at work in our members, as Paul says. However, if we are Christians, we also have been born again spiritually and have the Holy Spirit living within us. In today's message, Pastor David reminds us that our conditions are like two dogs that are fighting. The flesh pulls us one way, and the Spirit pulls us another way. Which one will win? Pastor David gives us the answer. It's the one we feed. Which one are you feeding? Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, Victory is Ours, But the Battle Never Ends. now had seen the defeat of all the cities of the south. The army had now seen the defeat of this massive, massive army to the north with all of their horses and their chariots. Do you think they got a little bit more bold? Do you think they got a little bit more trusting in the Lord? Do you think that their faith might have been pumped up a little bit more? I do. I think that every time that you and I see a victory in our lives, it increases our faith just as it should. That's why it's important for us, again, with Christian brothers and sisters to hear, man, what is God doing in your life? I need to be encouraged because right now I'm going through a whole lot in my life, and maybe the encouragement I hear from you will encourage me, or maybe what God is doing in my life might encourage you. These guys had seen God move over and over and over. Now verse 21, and at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities, and none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. But yet, some did remain. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. It's interesting. Some remained. Some remained. And we hear about one a little bit later, don't we? A fellow by the name of Goliath, part of the Philistines, and the Philistine stronghold is in that area around Gath and Gaza. One writer declares 40 years earlier, these very giants had so terrorized the Israelites that they refused to conquer the land. The giants hadn't shrunk 
They hadn't gotten any smaller with the new crop of Israelites came on the scene. The difference was that the new Israelites believed that their God was greater than these giants. The same God who is sufficient for Israel then is equally sufficient for his people today, no matter what our circumstances or difficulties. How big are the giants? Maybe the giants in your land are much bigger than mine. I've got a couple of big giants there. Maybe you've got some huge giants. But the great thing that we know, I don't deny the size of the giants, but neither do I deny or doubt the size of my God to be able to take those giants, to be able to overwhelm, to destroy those giants. Verse 23 says that, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as the inheritance to Israel according to the divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. And then in chapter 12, again, kind of a a recap of all of these things. Let's move through it real quickly. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. What he's speaking about here is the east side of the Jordan, not in the land of Canaan, but on the east side where where, uh, uh, Jordan, the country Jordan actually is right now. Verse 2, one king was Shihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Hezbon and ruled half of Gilead from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river even as far as the river Jabbok, which is on the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Kinneret, that's the Sea of Galilee, by the way, as far as the Sea of Arabon, that's the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea on the eastern side, the road to Beth Jeshemoth and southward below the slopes of Pishkah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and we know a little bit about him. He was of the remnant of the giants who dwelt at Ashtaroth at Edere and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salca, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Gersherites and the Machathites and how over half of Gilead to the border of Shihon, king of Hezbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord and the children of Israel had conquered. This was during Moses' time that they took all of these guys. Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession, remember, to the tribes of Reuben and to the tribe of Gad and to half of the tribe of Manasseh. Remember, they're going to stay on that eastern side. They like that land, their cattle and all, so they were going to stay there. Verse 7, these are the kings of the country which Joshua now, on the western side, after they crossed the Jordan River, these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on the west side of the Jordan, or on the side of the Jordan on the west, from Baal Gad to the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halak and the ascent of Sheir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions. In the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pharisees, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the king of Jericho, one. King of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. I think they should have said, now that's two, but uh, that's not the way it's written. So following this initial charge into the country, now they move into those five kings, that federation. Uh, The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. Then we have the balance of the, the southern cities, verse 13. The king of Debir, one. The king of Gether, one. The king of Harmah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Mechda, one. 
Now we move back towards the central Canaan city, seven of them in total. The king of Bethel won. The king of Tapu won. The king of Hephar won. The king of Aphek won. The king of Lasharon won. The king of Madon won. The king of Hazar won. Now we move on into the northern area. The king of Shimron Miron won. The king of Ekshaf won. The king of Tanakh won. The king of Megiddo won. The king of Kadesh won. The king of Jechneum in Carmel won. The king of Dor in the heights of Dor won. The king of the people of Gilgal won. The king of Tirzah won. All the kings, 31 of them. 31 of them. Why in the world would they do it like that? Why didn't he just say, and they wiped out all 31 kings? You ever hear the old hymn? Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Do you know the reason for that hymn, the reason why, the, the very verses of that hymn and, and why the, uh, why we would want to sit and count our blessings? In order that again it might build our faith. In order that again it might encourage us in the battle that we're in right now. In order that we might see the light in the midst of darkness that we're surrounded by. We might be in absolute darkness right now in our spiritual life. But if we would stop and start saying, oh, but my God. I know that my God has done this in my life. And I remember back in 1994 when, when God did this in my life. I remember in 1998 when God did this. I remember in the year 2001 when God did this. And I remember in our family, oh, we've had some hard times. We've had some tough times. But I remember that March morning when God did this in our life. And I, I can remember how God saved me in, in this situation. Have you ever stopped to take the opportunity just in the quietness or, or maybe with, with with a spouse or a friend to stop and say, what has God done in our life? What do you mean, what has God done in our life? He's done tons of stuff. Why don't, why don't we sit down and let's just start listing them? You know when the enemy is coming against you? That's the best time to start saying, ah, remember he gave me that job when we so desperately needed it. That's one. I remembered when our baby was so sick. We were so worried, and God healed him. That's one. I remember when God led us to just the right place at just the right time to a body of believers that we were encouraged when we were struggling. Oh, that's one. One and one and one. And each one of them significant to our lives for the work of God within our lives. Beloved, the victory is one. We understand that. The victory was won at the cross, as Christ said, it is finished. But the battles still continue. The battle in your life still continues. It will until your very last breath. I wish I could tell you that by the time you reach, oh, say, middle age, nah, that didn't quite work. When, when we reach old age, the, the battles stop. They, they don't stop as long as we're taking breath. The battles are there. Why? Because the enemy always wants to knock you out of the game. He always wants to bring defeat and discouragement, distraction. He wants to take you out. The battles are there. One of the things that we see from what we read here in Joshua is the reality of warfare. It's the reality of spiritual warfare. It's a battle that you and I are in even as we've come into this place. And the more we realize this, the more we realize that there is warfare that is going on all around us, 
The more we realize that, the more we're going to be prepared for that. If I were to tell you that tomorrow, no, absolutely certain, we have checked all the details, everything is absolutely certain, tomorrow the results of a huge hurricane in the Gulf of California are going to come in here. It's going to shut off all the power, all the transportation. There's going to be devastating rains and huge lightning storms that by tomorrow evening at 4 o'clock, this is going to hit here and it's going to shut down all all the resources that we have. Do you think that you would just sit at home and watch TV all morning? Or would you be, maybe one eye on the TV on the Weather Channel, uh, but you, you would be preparing, you would be ready. If you knew that an enemy was coming to your door, that somebody was going to come and rob you tonight, you would go and prepare and, and get ready. Beloved, there's a spiritual warfare that's going around, and the enemy desires to knock you out of the game, to destroy you totally. Yes, the Lord fights our battles. I understand that. There's no doubt about the fact that He is our source in all things. He is the one who takes on the enemy when the enemy comes in like a flood. He's the one who knocks down the giants that are in the land. But at the same time, He calls for you and I to be prepared, to be aware, to be willing, and to be obedient. He tells us in Ephesians 6, he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on that whole armor of God on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. Now, that's not what he says. That's the understanding that we just need to do it all the time because we don't know when the enemy's coming. And he says, put on that whole armor in order that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Are there giants out there? Yeah. Are there enemy more than we can even begin to number with horses and chariots? Yeah, but that's not what we're fighting against. We're fighting against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Beloved, there is a spiritual battle that's going on. And that battle, it is a worldly battle for your soul, one of the things. That's why Romans 12 tells us, Paul, I I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Man, that's just your reasonable sacrifice. That's That's just the baseline. Why does he say that? Because he knows there's a spiritual battle. And he knows that we need to present ourselves before the Lord as as that living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds in order that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says to gird up the loins of your mind, to be sober, to rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You've heard of Christ. You've come to Christ. The revelation of Christ in your life, man. Grace has been brought to you. He says, therefore, as obedient children, don't conform yourselves to your formal lusts. That was all in your ignorance. 
But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it's written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. See, there's a lot of things from the outside that are coming to drag you away, to drag you down. But it's also an inside battle, isn't it? I think of the, the enemy out there. I, more often than not, the biggest battle that I have is, is those enemies that are within, that internal battle. I believe that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, those words beginning in verse 14 where he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. I've been sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, I, I don't practice. What I hate, those are the things I do. If then I do that, what I do not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that's the thing I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He knows, man, if I'm allowing abiding sin within my life, if I'm allowing things within my life, even as a believer, I'm not going to be walking holy. I'm not going to be walking according to God's plan. I'm going to be walking just the way that the enemy has planned and purpose. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, we, we already read that, that girding up the loins, that, that whole idea of being sober. That whole idea of, again, resting fully on the grace of God. But what does Galatians chapter 5 tell us? Galatians 5. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against or battles against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I've heard it said this way. Within my life, within my soul, there are two dogs that are battling. The dog of God, that good and righteous one, and the dog of Satan, that wicked and evil one. They're doing battle continually. And which one is the one that wins? The one I feed. The one I feed. If I'm feeding the flesh, then that one's going to win. If I'm feeding the spirit, that's the one that's going to win. One last thing now. Wrap it up here. It's found in Romans chapter 8. Turn there if you would. Romans 8. In the midst of all the battles that you and I have as believers, in the midst of all the struggles that you and I have as confessing children of God, trusting Christ as our Lord and Savior, not on our own works, but on faith in the completed work of Christ, in the midst of all of that, and the battle that Paul talks about in chapter 7, he then writes in chapter 8, he says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the Spirit, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh, you cannot please God. Unless you're walking in the Spirit, you won't be able to please God. Even doing good stuff in the flesh, as we shared this last week, good stuff in the flesh, you're not pleasing God. The flesh cannot please God. But he speaks to believers here. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, well, he is not his. In other words, if the Spirit of Christ doesn't live in you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, you're not a believer. That's basically what he's saying. Every believer has the Holy Spirit's abiding. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Our only hope in the midst of every battle that we come in contact with. Whether we be giants or horses and chariots or the spiritual battle that comes from the world or from the inside of our own flesh. Our only hope is found in Christ. That's why we can look and real quickly, verse 33, or 31. What shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it, God? it is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he says, for I am persuaded. He knows it. He's studied it. He's looked at it. He's experienced it in his own life. It's been confirmed in his life over and over again. That's why Paul, who has the mind of a lawyer, the the mind of a, a legal genius, says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things yet to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, are there battles in your life? You're in good company. Because all around you, the children of God are in battles. The question is, is are you victorious in those battles? You might agree with me. Some I am and some I'm not. But this one thing we do know. He is victorious over all of them. He is victorious in all of them. And so we come to him. We we confess. We repent. We keep our lives open and available to him. We take out the garbage regularly so it doesn't stench up the temple of God. Amen in order that we might walk in that victory that only He can give to us.
Most of us have heard the story of the walls of Jericho falling down. We remember this story from Sunday School. This is just one of many events David will be bringing fresh insights to as we study the book of Joshua together. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Small